All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Millennial Sales Podcast. This is your host, Tommy Tahoe Lamo. Um, want to get into this episode. So um, let's just get straight into the guests. Let's let's skip the skip the uh, intro, skip the foreplay today. Uh, Ernest Awusu uh, is currently a senior director of sales development over at Sixth Sense. Um, he came over and uh, he was playing professional football for four years. He went to UCAL Berkeley. He was in the NFL for a few years. He was in the Canadian Football League for a year or two. Um, got out of football after a few years, went into sales, started as an SDR, and you know, really honed his craft, was working up through sales management. And now, like I mentioned, is a, a senior director of sales. He has 20 reports. He's one of the top voices, top names uh, in SaaS sales and B2B sales. Um, and he's a great guy. And we talk about a number of different things. We talked about his sports career. He played with uh, Jared Allen, who's one of the best linemen, probably of all time, but definitely of this generation. So played with a Hall of Famer and talking about what he learned from his work ethic. Uh, We talk about um, how he transitioned to sales, what that was like, why he chose sales um, coming in there and, and how he's treated this like, you know, the same craft, right? Something that I thought was really interesting was that he mentioned that top athletes that he was around, they didn't, you know, they might've started playing football because of the love of the game, but why they continued was the love of trying to perfect a craft, right? So it wasn't about throwing footballs and, uh, you know, getting first downs. It was like, how do you perfect that one move as a lineman? You know, you make that one move to try to get around the, the to get to the quarterback. If it's a quarterback, you've got your, you know, you're just trying to perfect your arm motion, right? Or whatever it might be, trying to perfect the parts of your craft become their own like submission. And I thought that was really interesting. I think that relates to sales in a lot of, you know, if you think about sales is so wide ranging, right? But if you try to really hone in on just your prospecting or just, trying to engage rapport with your customers or being great at closing or being great at uh, being empathetic with them, running a thoughtful discovery, all the different aspects that you need to be to do to run a great sales process. Uh, that's how, that's what he treated it like. He treated it like a craft and, um, and he gets up at 4 a.m. He gets, starts work at 5.30 in the morning, um, working East Coast hours uh, and ends early, but he talks about how that kind of balances his um, one, that effort level helps him to get those reps um, and why he also shuts it off pretty early in the day because he had an injury from overworking himself in the NFL and, and he's kind of used that in sales as well. So it's a really interesting conversation. Uh, we get into his three C's for management um, that I thought was pretty interesting. I hadn't heard of that concept before. He talks about how he builds culture, uh, why he promotes people or doesn't promote people, um, we talked about um, you know, a little bit of, of social justice and um, he talked about being part of um, the, the sales brother and sisterhood uh, Slack channel. So uh, we talked about a, a number of different topics. So whether you're interested in sports, whether you're interested in uh, being an SDR, being a manager, um, you know, some of the social justice topics, I think you're really gonna enjoy this conversation. And, and um, you know, Ernest just he has a smile on his face the whole time. Uh, he brought me joy. I really appreciate getting to know him. Without further ado, I'm going to shut up and I'm going to give you the conversation with, with Ernest Awusu. Before I do that, really quick, if you find value in what you got today here, 
uh, please just leave a review, uh, subscribe, leave a review on Apple, uh, follow on Spotify, subscribe here on YouTube if you're looking at me, hello. Um, and you can check me out on uh, LinkedIn, Tom Lamo, on Instagram and, you, and uh, Twitter at Tommy Tahoe. Now I'm shutting up our, in, my interview with Ernest Owusu now. Let's go. All right, Ernest Owusu, good morning, man. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Millennial Sales. How we doing? Not bad, not bad. Happy morning. Can't complain. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Um, so thanks for coming on, man. Uh, I saw, I was reading, you know, just doing some research on you and uh, came across some of your old old football, uh, you know, <laughs> just just stats and things like that. It's a 6'5", 270. I don't know if we've ever had such an imposing force on the podcast before. <laughs> Yeah, I, I will say uh, that's definitely where I was back when I was playing. I've definitely cut some weight down since then, but uh, I guess I still have the height, so <laughs> there, yeah. there might still be some of that that's still in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, I'm I'm excited to have you on and, and talk about your journey. And um, you know, as I was researching about you, um, you know, I was I was reading an article that someone wrote where you were talking about your playing days um, and talking about uh, you know specifically on the Vikings and you know, some of the, the, the work that you did with Jared Allen and just seeing how he was as a competitor. And for those that maybe aren't familiar, Jared Allen is, you know, one of the best, uh, you know, defensive linemen in the league and, and probably a, a Hall of Famer. But could you talk a little bit about what it was like to, uh, you know, work specifically on the same team as him and just what you learned from him and, and what you learned from that experience playing ball with him? Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the best experiences I got from playing in the NFL was I got to see like true professionals, true uh, masters of their craft. And especially having someone who was in my position group was something that I definitely will hang my hat on as something that's always helped me grow in all phases of my life throughout everything. Um, but the really cool thing about Jared is he was really athletic. He was really smart. He knew the game really well, but also he just worked really hard. And his strongest suit came from the fact that his skill was so on point all the time because he was constantly practicing it, constantly trying to find ways to optimize it, regardless of where he was at within his career. So when I was there, Jared was on like a, like a six years, $72 million contract. So a lot of, a lot of players when they're at that point, they kind of just pack it up. It's like, let me finish my contract and just be done with football. <laughs> but the really cool thing about Jared was that was not him. It was when players would kind of just be done and just like, you know, go out there, play, and kind of max out the contract and be done. Uh, Jared was the kind of person who literally, after every single practice, was practicing the exact same move over and over and over again because um, he knew that his way to be successful was kind of like it's kind of de developing a skill and just making yourself really good at it. He knew that his way to kind of stay on top of his game was to always try and find the smallest hack within his system to make himself better. And you would think that a player of his caliber who uh, was producing at the rate he was, who was definitely known throughout the NFL as like a top performer, that he would just kind of feel like he's got it and just never stop and just be completely done. But Jared did not stop throughout everything. I took that away. And um, it was really cool because at that point, you know, moving away from college into the NFL, I, I kind of, um, a lot of rookies kind of come to the realization that your athleticism isn't quite enough anymore in the NFL because everyone's just that athletic. So the only way you can differentiate yourself is by like, knowing the game really well, as well as developing really strong skills. And as a rookie, seeing a, a potential Hall of Famer, like still adhering to that and still practicing his craft and making himself as good as he possibly can on just one move, 
uh, was something that really stuck out with me and I've taken it through all phases of my life. That's amazing. And did you ever, um, did you, did you have a relationship with him at all? Maybe not because there was a divide between veteran and rookie, but, um, did you talk to him about that? Like why, what, why was he so driven? Why was he doing all those extra things and not resting on his laurels and resting on, Hey, I've got the $72 million coming in. Like what, what was driving him so hard? Yeah, so the funny thing is, I was definitely a rookie. So every single morning, I had to I had to give him coffee. That was like my thing I had to do for <laughs> every single day, and like I had to like carry bags and do all that kind of stuff for him. So we definitely had that good relationship, but um, I never explicitly had a conversation to, with him about why he did it. But I fundamentally understood it. Uh, Jared took a lot of pride in his game, and he wanted to be seen as the best. And it didn't really matter like where he like what he had already achieved. He just always wanted more. He always wanted to kind of be that guy that. Uh, like set himself up far and above the rest. And um, I think a lot of the reason why he was so consistent with his skill development was based upon the fact that he always knew that even though he was all pro, venture hall of famer, someone that like, could really just look at themselves and, and know they're great, he always knew there was a little bit more he could put into it. And that's what he was always focused on. Man, that's just, it's such a great tale. And, and you, uh, you know, you see these, these athletes or, you know, celebrities or, or people that are super successful and you, and you see examples like that all over the board of people that, uh, on both sides, some that, you know, kind of rests on it and then, you know, end up being a one hit wonder. And then others that continue for a really great career in whatever field it is. And I'm always just so curious about what makes those people so driven. Um, it's not that it's, it's, um, you know, complicated. It's just like, do the thing that, got you to where you were and keep doing it but it's it's you know simple not easy i guess is how i would say it and and the drive to keep doing that so what a great uh reference point for you and, and maybe there was great players at cal too but just at a whole nother level um to start off your career yeah definitely and, and i will say one of the really cool things uh about achieving that level was seeing the fact that a lot of players were like, we love the game. Like we had been playing in our entire lives to get there to achieve, achieve the dream again to NFL was awesome. But uh, one of the really cool things was I started to realize that once people got to that level, they didn't necessarily enjoy the actual game as much. They, they actually enjoyed the, the thrill of perfection, the thrill of like making yourself really good at something and unstoppable. And I kind of started feeling that way uh, in the earlier portions of my career because like, I love the game. Obviously it was a lot of fun and you know, it's something that brought me a lot of joy, but I really dug into the fact of like, how good can I possibly make myself? Like, what can I do to perfect this tiny thing? And, and the really fun thing about that was to get to the NFL, you have to be like a master of your craft in certain ways. So uh, the opportunities for growth are obviously diminishing the longer you play football because like you just keep getting better. And it, it was kind of interesting because you're always looking for failures. If you look at it that way, it's like, what's the, like, if, if I'm not failing, I'm not improving. So like, I, I want to fail in some regards, obviously I don't want to force the failure because I don't want to just like make intentional mistakes, but I want to fail because it presents opportunity for me to make myself even better. And I saw a lot of the great players that I, I had the opportunity to be with teammates with. Uh, they very much embodied that mentality. And just, you know, as a side note, how good are sports? I mean, you know, I know I get it. Not everyone played sports growing up and, and very, very few people played it at the level that you did, but it's just so transferable. And I guess, you know, I'm sure, you know, I'm not musical, but playing an instrument or there's a lot of other skills that transfer the same way to mastering a craft, but there's so many skills that you learn, even in, you know, as a youngster growing up or a high school or a college athlete, 
around discipline and, and, you know, mastering the craft and, you know, working with your teammates and all that, you know, uh, dealing with adversity that just carries forward. Um, and that I, I couldn't imagine what my life would be like, uh, if I didn't play sports, if I, if I wasn't naturally attracted to that, I don't know if I would also be naturally attracted to sales. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And honestly, it's to your point, it's not even just sale. I'm not even just sports. It's, it's having that one thing, like that person who wanted to be a concert pianist, the person who had been mm, literally yep. practicing over and over and over again since age four or five up until, you know, they graduate from high school. Like that same kind of mentality is why a lot of salespeople are successful. And obviously sports is probably one of the most obvious ways that we can kind of pull it out and, and make it a part of our arsenal. But yeah, it's, it's honestly that just constant growth, that constant failure, constantly trying to find ways to improve that makes it very much transferable into what we do as salespeople. And, and looking back on it, um, in hindsight, it, I think there's a great natural flow from being an athlete or being someone that is, uh, you know, driven in another field to go into sales professionally. So in hindsight, that makes all the sense in the world. But I, sometimes we don't know that sales is even a real career before we get into it. So how did you go from that transition? I, I know you had, you're dealing with some injuries uh, going through the league and then, you know, at some point it was like, Hey, this is, you know, this is enough, enough is enough. I'm going to go try to, you know, do something after sports. How did you get into sales and, and, you know, how, what, what kind of pointed you in that direction that might be the right path? Yeah, that's a great question. And honestly, it goes back to what you originally said. It's, you know, I started dealing with some injuries. I got to the point where I was about to be 27 years old. I had a bunch of injury and bunch of injuries. And I knew that if an NFL team looked at me and saw a 21 year old with similar athletic ability, <laughs> they're probably going to take him just because it makes more sense for the long run. So um, I knew it was time to, do, to be done. Unfortunately, it was something that, you know, I, not unfortunately, it was something that I felt like I accomplished what I want to accomplish, but um, you know, it, it got to the point where I was like, what can I do to essentially pull away all the qualities that made me a great athlete and got me to the NFL and try and apply it to something completely different. And honestly, a lot of professional athletes, especially football players struggle with that because um, it's such a unique skill set that sometimes doesn't quite translate into a lot of things that we do. Um, so I just talked to a lot of people. I talked to a lot of former athletes at Cal. I talked to a lot of people in my network, just trying to figure out like what was out there. Uh, originally I thought I was going to be in wealth management because I did an internship of that in college. Um, then I started thinking about like the things that I learned in football and kind of what was going to translate into my next career. And I didn't quite think it was aligned. Uh, but the more people I started talking to, the more I sort of realized that, you know, the, the facts that made me successful, such as being a hard worker, someone who is constantly trying to find ways to improve, uh, being coachable, that very much aligned with not just, not just jumping into a career in sales, but also thriving within it. So though I didn't know very much about what the experience would be like, I knew it was something that I had to pursue. And um, when I started making, once I took a leap, it was the rest of kind of history. And then what, what were some of the resources that helped you early on? Like, I, I imagine that you know, I don't, I don't even have to ask you, but I already know that you were diving into reading books and podcasts and seeking out people and asking questions and maybe finding mentors. So what were some of the things that helped you out early on to kind of just start mastering a new craft? Yeah. And I, I guess I'll even say one thing before that. Um, yeah. You know, when I got into this, I knew nothing. Like I knew nothing about sales. I knew nothing about the industry. Like if you asked me what an API was, I would have like try to make something up. <laughs> I had no idea what to say. Um, but I, I embraced that because I knew the reality is like, I'm jumping into this field where I'm like literally a rookie, a freshman, someone who kind of has to learn as yeah. I go. And I just attacked it. I, I started reading every single book I possibly could. 
um, started listening to every single podcast possible. The Challenger Sale was like foundational for my philosophy in terms of how to sell. Uh, the book Fanatical Prospecting in terms of tactics was huge for me because it kind of built a framework around how to do multi-channel, how to um, like consistently prospect, things like that. But that quality has not left me. Like I'm always trying to find ways to improve. And I think the, the way I attack it is instead of being that kind of person who like just jumps to different things and completely changes their strategy, um, I've started to like kind of build my profile of, of who I am as a seller as well as a leader. And I'm looking for tiny little tidbits that can complement it. And I want to see a little tidbit, I add it. And it's that exact same principle of like, you know, someone like Jared Allen, who's like developed this skill over a period of time, like he knows how to win with what he does. But if he catches one tiny thing that he can add to his arsenal to make himself stronger, then he's going to apply it. So that's kind of what I've done. And like it's as, and as an SDR, I was definitely learning a lot more just because I was fresh and didn't know anything. But even as a leader right now, I'm still learning about things that SDR should do to be effective. And I don't, I'm not planning on stopping that anytime soon because um, there's always more you can add to make yourself even better. And um, it, it all relies on just kind of talking to people, reading books, uh, listening to podcasts, just do as much as you can to kind of put yourself out there and learn as much as possible. And I read an article where you, where someone was, was talking about, you know, your daily routine. And this was, you know, a year ago about, and saying that you get to the office every day at five thirty, and now, you know, the home is the office. So maybe it's the same, maybe it's a little different. Can you walk me through, uh, what, what your, what a day in earnest life look like, looks like, I want to <laughs> get into what that looks like for you. Yeah, sure. Well, I, well, I'll definitely have to say that, you know, from a year ago, things have changed a lot. I just became a first time dad yeah. at trip. So, oh wow congrats so my, my, yeah thank you so much so definitely Truth things have changed place, yeah. quite a bit um but i will say the process is still intact i still wake up at 4 a.m every single morning i still start work at 5 30 every single morning and and the whole purpose around kind of what started that 5 30 start was uh when i was an sdr i had east coast accounts i had to call them at 8 30 in the morning and i know that that's going to give me even an x percent chance of being more effective so i built it into my strategy um so a lot of what I do is very routine because I know if I can build a process and find ways to uh, to march down that path and win, then it's going to give me a lot higher chance to succeed. Um, also, I, I do incorporate aspects of being dynamic. I'm not like a robot. <laughs> the fact that I'm just doing everything <laughs> every single day. Um, but I guess the day in life is I wake up at 4 a.m. Um, before I was commuting. Now it's being yeah. like it because I'm usually crying at 4 in the morning. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I wake up 4 a.m., uh, start work at 5.30, and just kind of push through the day. Uh, one of the great things about, um, you know, being on the West Coast and kind of managing a team on the East Coast is I can be available for teams, uh, for people that do want to talk about things early in the morning uh, that are over on the East Coast. But also, uh, if no one's going to reach out to me from that team, I have that huge block of time from 5.30 to probably like 7.30 to 8 where no one is talking to me, and I can just grind. Mm. I can just kind of get things done before the day starts feel really accomplished and just kind of keep moving forward throughout the course of the day. And um, when I was in SDR, I really appreciate that, especially when I wasn't managing people. So I got my calls done and then I just kind of worked through the day without any kind of interruptions. And um, I've personally noticed that that's helped me. I think some people like to work a little, a little bit later and kind of have their time to do that. But for me, starting the day early and just kind of getting organized and working through has been really effective for me. Yep. I mean, how great is it? I'm an early riser too. It's it, more in like the 445 camp. Uh, but how great is it to wake up and just know that, you know, anyone else out there or, you know, the vast majority of people, they're sleeping so you can get a head start to the day and whether that, you know, you're getting a workout in, whether you're getting to work earlier, whether you're, you know, making cold calls to the East Coast, whatever it might be that it just, there's such a, I get such a satisfaction out of 
trying to get so much done I, before noon is like my mentality. It's like, I could, I hope to get a full day's work in or a full day of productive things before noon and then the afternoon is gravy, right? Because you're, you're not firing on all cylinders all, you know, however many 16, 17, 18 hours you're awake. Um, and so for a lot of people, it's in the morning. And so just trying to maximize that and take advantage of it and just like kind of that psychological edge that it gives you. I completely agree. There's no greater feeling for me than when I kind of map up my day in terms of what I have to do and I knock it all out before eight, nine o'clock in the morning, knowing that I can kind of just handle anything else that comes throughout the course of the day and not to feel stressed about it. Um, it's, it feels really good. That's probably part of the reason why I've, I've like consistently done that over the years. It's just part of my MO. And then do you have a time in the afternoon or evening that you shut it off and do you have like routine around that just because yep. you are starting so early? Yeah. And that's, I, I will say for anyone that starts early or late, just especially now that we're all working remotely, you have to set parameters around yourself. It's in sales. One of the hard things to embrace is like, if you actually put more work in, you will be more effective. So like you have to give yourself breaks, yeah. not just overwork yourself. So um, I, I typically kind of cap it off around four or four thirty in the afternoon and don't allow myself to go past that because I know if I've started work at five thirty and I do that literally every single day and I'm going till four or four thirty, I'm getting a lot of work done within those time frame. Like and it, it's it's not something that I should feel guilty about like not doing something or feel like I'm lifting on anything on the table. As long as I've been consistent and and I'm like on track with what I need to do, then the body work that I do within that time frame is more than enough. So I, I've kind of like allowed myself to not overwork. And, and the reality is I personally, the reason why I kind of do that is because my injury that I had in the NFL came from overworking. So I've kind of experienced mm. the effects of what can happen if you do that. So I, I personally have to like create checks for myself just to make sure that um, I keep myself honest and, and taking advantage of the, of the fact that you need to rest consistently. Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, I've, I've experienced that just from like a burnout perspective too, um, of just like going, like working myself to the bone. And then, you know, once you start to feel the effects of that, it's, it's almost like it's too late. It's like trying to, uh, you know, uh, have prevention rather than cure, right. Give yourself that space. So you don't, you know, feel a, a negative effect. So I definitely feel that. Um, but what, what's, what's the driver for you? Like, do you, do you have specific goals that you're trying to achieve? Is it, is it that you love perfecting the craft? Um, you know, what is it that, you know, when you get up at four, cause it's not like you get up at four and you're jumping out of bed and you're slamming down 25 pushups and you feel like, you know, God's <laughs> gift to earth. I know that you're, you feel, you know, pretty tired and groggy some morning. So like what, what actually gets you out? What keeps you moving, keeps you, you know, sticking to such a, you know, a regimented process. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, you're right. Like there are some mornings where it's a little bit tougher to get out of bed, but I'll give you the answer that I gave my first interview. I just want to be the best period. And like, it's hard to quantify that obviously because you can't really compare yourself with the companies and other leaders in the space. But like, I take a lot of pride in the fact that there's always a lot of room for me to grow. And uh, when I see not just from a, a quantitative perspective that my team is doing really well, but I kind of feel the growth that I've made uh, in terms of how I lead teams and how we're succeeding, um, that gives me a lot of excitement and, and motivates me because um, it's 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 literally what I did my entire life before I got into sales. I just wanted to find ways to improve and be the best, and um, I saw a lot of success and joy out of that. So I continue to have that, and I don't see myself not wanting to be the best at what I do. So that's always going to be a huge motivating factor for me. Yeah, it's more of who you are versus what you're trying to accomplish. It's like how you do anything is how you do everything. 
right? And so like, I'm going to, I want to be the best at football. I want to be the best at this. I want to be the best, you know, father, what, you know, all these different aspects of your life. And it, it carries over, uh, over to that. That's, that's the impression that I'm getting from you. Um, you know, I want to pivot to your leadership and what I've seen about some of that and, and dig into that a little bit. So I saw you uh, have a framework around three C's, uh, mm-hmm. career, culture, compensation. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what that means? Yeah, sure. And in this, the three C's definitely stem from uh, my time as a BDR of kind of what I knew motivated me. And uh, a lot of the teams that I've built out in the past have been geared around that. So there are three motivating, three motivating factors to uh, just keep your team thriving and not just thriving, but like, you know, going above and beyond to be great. Uh, it's career culture compensation. Um, if you don't have a North star, if you don't have a direction you want to go, then it's really hard to keep fighting. Uh, being SDR, BDR is a really tough job in a lot of different times. And um, the thing, like you, like for similar to me, like I wanted to be an AE, which I became an AE eventually. But um, I know that there were times where like I was just hitting the phones and you know, putting people to sequences and cadences and you know, doing all this research where it kind of came a little bit monotonous. And I had to have that one thing that kept me going. So in terms of leadership, if you have a team, it's mission critical that you have some kind of North Star for people because um, there will be a time as a, as a BDR, SDR, where you're like, do I want to do this? Is this worth it? And if you don't have a North Star for you, then it's kind of hard to have that as um, something you can do. That's, so that's the first thing. Um, in terms of compensation, like we're in sales. So the minute you feel like you're not properly being recognized for what you're doing, it's just not going to work. So having some kind of system where, you know, the team is working really hard and there's some kind of, there's a strong alignment between what they're doing and, and how they're being compensated for is, is critical because um, again, one sales and that's, that's a top priority, but last but not least, probably one of the most important is culture. Um, we, we have, a, we have an acronym here at six cents that stand, it's called family and family stands for fun, accountability, mindfulness, integrity, love, and yes. And all of those words embody what we want to be as a BDR team. So if you have a team, you have to, and this probably stems from what I learned in football, right? So if you have a team, you have to have an identity. If you have an identity, you can do anything. So in the times of COVID, when things were stressful and people were trying to figure it out and people still are trying to figure it out, you know, um, that culture and identity is what gets you through things. It, if you don't have that, then like you can break on the drop of a dime off of nothing. So um, our culture is reinforced literally every single week. It's something that we always talk about. It's something that we always call each other out for when we see people that embody it because um, it's literally what we do to win. And it's also what we do to kind of take ourselves out of, you know, hard times where we might be facing any kind of adversity or uh, circumstances that we're not necessarily expecting. And when you say that you reinforce it every week, how do you, how do you go about doing that? Yeah, sure. So uh, during our, our forecasting call, we actually call it a tone meeting. Um, and okay. during this, during this tone meeting, it's basically talking about like, you know, what's new, what, like, what's a new prospecting tactic that you've gone through? Like what are your numbers for the week? What's your plan to basically hit your numbers for the week? Before we get into all of that, we, we go, we have one person per region highlight someone else from another region who best embodied that family, uh, that family culture. So Say, for example, um, someone on the West Coast wants to give someone on the East Coast a shout out for having a yes mentality. A yes mentality is basically going above and beyond out of the scope of your work to help someone else succeed. So during every single team meeting, we say, hey, this is Ernest. Um, you know, Tom did an awesome job because he had a mess, hit a yes mentality for me write this cadence and I got a meeting out of it. And, and we give each other a shout out for that. And that kind of reinforces that, like, the reason why we're winning and succeeding is because we have this culture and we always kind of fall back on it for everything, but everything kind of circumstances we arise or, or come up with. Yeah. I love that. And, and so how many people are you managing right now or leading? 
Sure. So I think including me, my team right now is 20. Um, so yeah, about 20 people total on my team. And they all report to you or is there people in the mid, like in between? Yep. Two managers, one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast. Okay. Okay. So how do you, um, how do you go about, you got 20 reps under you and, or, you know, 18 and, and two managers. How do you go about individualizing those three C's, right? Because my goal to make a certain amount of money or to, you know, maybe I want to be an AE and someone else wants to be an SDR manager and someone else maybe wants to get into customer success and all, you know, everyone's got different goals and, you know, some people are more driven than others and more like, you know, you and some maybe are just doing this because they don't know what else to do with their, with their career. And they're, they're just kind of like, you know, pushing through right now. So like, how do you individualize uh, where people are and where they want to get to? So, sure, that's a great question. So um, it's pretty black and white with what we do here. We have a career progression path where if you do X, Y, Z over a period of time, uh, you set yourself up for an interview to take on the opportunity you want to take. So a lot of what I do, because I'm not directly managing uh, the SDRs on my team anymore, is like I have weekly check-ins, like maybe like once or twice, actually probably once a month for most of the team. And all we talk about is not about pipeline. It's not about tactics. It's like, like, how are you feeling? Like, how are you doing in terms of your career progression? Is there anything else I can help you with? And in those conversations, uh, we're talking about like, okay, so this is where you currently stand. Uh, here's what you need to hit to hit this next progression within the career path. What can I do to help you? You're now at this point where you're going through the interview process. Let's talk about what you're gonna do in your interview and how you're gonna succeed with that. So um, our team has a ton of support to help people kind of push through their career progress, whichever route they go. And we've had people um, that are on the CS org. We've had a lot of people kind of go to the AE org. I'm sure we're going to have some people become SEs or something like that in the future. So um, though we do try and hire people who want to become AEs, we're also conscious of the fact that um, some people really want to get in sales, but sometimes they want to go in a different route of sales and that's totally okay. So um, the way we kind of attack that is just like regular conversations with the team on like how they're feeling, where they're going and provide as much support as we possibly can. And then when you say it's black and white, you mean it's, it's quantitative. It's like, you don't have to give me the, the formula, but it's, it's something to the extent of, Hey, if you book X amount of meetings or you're in the top, you know, three in the leaderboard for activities or whatever, for this many consecutive months or quarters, if you do these three things, you get your interview for whatever that next step is for you. And like, that's yep. it. That's, that's the thing. Yep. More or less. And it's, it's tied towards, quota attainment as well as uh, how coachable you are. So uh, mm -hmm. regardless of whether or not you're hitting your number, if we if a coach gives you feedback on something and you take it and you succeed with it, that's awesome. If you get the feedback and you don't take it, then that's kind of a ding. It's a ding that we have. So um, as long as the team is taking feedback and they're producing, then we'll do whatever we can to get you to the interview. And once you get to the interview, we'll also help prepare for that. And it's pretty black and white in terms of whether or not um, you're going to progress on that path. Yep. And do you what's your take on, you know, motivating and inspiring people, right? Do you, you know, again, thinking about people that, you know, a lot of SDRs are coming in straight out of college, right? Mm -hmm. And if I'm just, I'll speak for myself. I, I didn't, I wasn't quite sure coming straight, you know, the first day out of college, uh, you know, whether I wanted to, you know, hit the ground running or not. It took me a few months to really kind of get more ambition and, and think bigger and, and really have that type of mentality. So, um, do you envision your goal or, or part of your responsibility in like getting people people fired up and helping them see the bigger picture? Um, or is part of it, you know, understanding each person and like, you know, saying, Hey, you know, Ernest just really isn't very driven. He's kind of a C player and 
we're going to, you know, accept him for that. And if he doesn't produce, then maybe this just isn't right for him. Um, you know, do you, do you feel kind of the responsibility to try to turn Ernest around in that scenario or kind of accept him for how he is? You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Um, it's pretty easy to spot whether or not sales is for someone. Um, typically, yeah. people interview really well. And then once it gets to the actual company, sometimes it's not exactly what they interviewed with. But um, honestly, you never want to push someone out, but you do want to have candid conversations with people. And um, typically, your numbers and quote attainment, as well as like your activity that you're doing, are pretty good indications of how motivated you are. So um, we never lead with that, saying that you're not motivated. So, like, kind of what's happened. But we do have conversations around like, hey, like I know this is where we're going. Like, how are you feeling? Is this something that you, you see yourself doing in the long run? Totally fine if not. Um, but yes, you definitely have to be attuned with that. But also I will say, um, like it's not my job to force someone to go down a certain career path because it's what I want them to do. If someone, whether they want to be an AE, a CSM, to leave our company, get into marketing, that's on them to kind of figure it out and us to help facilitate that. But on that same token, whether positive or negative, if we're seeing things that are indicating that someone needs to go down a career path, a certain career path, we'll, we'll kind of communicate that in the best way we can. And if someone is showing signs that they don't want to stay in sales or it's not really for them, then we'll, we'll try and find a way to help them work it out. Yeah, that was something that I struggled with. My last role, I was I was a player coach, so I was an AE and and also leading about three or four people. And something that was tough for me was uh, working with you know some people that that didn't necessarily see eye to eye, and we didn't weren't necessarily like minded in terms of maybe our ambition or what we wanted to do. And you know, my uh, you know internal dialogue like was, man, when I was starting, I was doing this and this and this, and um, you know, it just isn't not everyone operates in the same way. And so that was, that was tougher for me to grasp. And that was tougher for me to adjust to versus when you are an AE or an SDR, um, you know, you're running your day, right? So like you, you have metrics you need to hit, but like, if I want to make 25 more calls, I'm going to go do that. And I can do that because I'm controlling my own destiny versus trying to lead other people uh, to the right message. So that was just something that I struggled with personally. Yeah, and honestly, I kind of had an aha moment with that a couple of years ago um, when, and this might have been when I was first starting out as a manager, it's like, why are you not doing more? Um, but then I kind of realized and took a look at myself and you know, I'm expecting someone to do more because I would have done that, but I also, the same token, can't expect someone to wake up at 4 a.m. every morning. So like, based mm -hmm. my expectations for people should not necessarily align with what they should be doing because like, what I expect for myself is, in some ways, it's it's tough at times. You know, I'm definitely one of my own worst critics when it comes to that kind of stuff. So um, I, I try my best to like really understand like what's behind people's actions and kind of what like, is leading them in a certain path and kind of take action based upon that. Because um, some people just don't think the way you want them to think, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I've also seen some people who aren't quite as motivated as I was in SDR or uh, they think a little bit differently than I did. They also succeed, but just trying to kind of pick that out and learn why they're doing so um, has helped me to kind of motivate them. Yep. Yeah. Um, I want to pivot a little bit to, uh, you know, SDRs or, or, you know, even AEs for anyone that's out there prospecting, hitting the phones, hitting the sequences, you know, doing the whole thing. So, um, do you have a, a philosophy around prospecting in terms of, you know, I, I know you've read a lot of books and, and been a practitioner yourself, but in terms of, you know, uh, how aggressive you should be, how many different uh, channels you should use, um, anything like that that sticks out like, hey, this is, this is the way that I see prospecting work well. 
Yeah, sure. So I, I'll first have to say, if you have not read the book Financial Prospecting, that's like the Bible, in my opinion, of how to build mm. a pipeline, how to build a pipeline. Uh, just the philosophies they teach in there, the tactics they teach are awesome. Um, I guess my general approach is you have to be consistent. You have to provide tangible value. You have to be multi-channel. If you can do those things consistently, then more or less you're, you're gonna go down the path you wanna go. A lot of times you see people who lead with what their product does and they lead with I statements and things that um, don't necessarily solve the problems of the particular person. And I've noticed that, that doesn't really work as well. And when I say like being consistent, multi-channel and providing value, those are very like broad <laughs> terms to yeah, say. Yeah. I can go very deep into all three, but um, that's kind of what I've noticed more or less of what kind of drives people to be successful yep okay and this is also uh you know just for the listeners i've got a, a thing that i'm trying out here called the selfish section right so uh where I, essentially i'm just asking a question or two for me not for anyone else you, everyone else can pause and or fast forward but i started a new role uh a few weeks ago as an ae so i mentioned i was in a player coach role now i'm ae and i'm, I'm kind of in this mode where i'm going back to all right let's master the craft a little bit and so right now i'm starting out there's no opportunities and there's no customers. So it's Greenfield. And I'm, this is actually my first week, you know, prospect and I'm, I'm trying to hone it. So I want to dive a little bit more tactically with you. And I think anyone that is a prospector will get value out of this, but like, what are the, what are the vehicles that you folks are using? Um, you know, I'm sure calls, emails, but are you using video or using direct mail? Um, has that maybe changed because of everything that's going on right now? I'd, I'd love to talk about like what, what actual vehicles you're using in a sequence. Sure. So I guess the first thing is um, when I was an AE, so I had to prospect and build my own pipeline as well. So um, I think the most important thing is just being really efficient. I initially struggled with like building enough pipeline and working deals and closing them and kind of having that balance. So for AEs who are, who don't have a BDR SDR, um, getting really good with first we use our we use our own product at six cents so basically six cents helps companies um, identify companies that want to talk to them and basically reach out to them with the messaging that is most appropriate and we first and foremost like really make sure that we're going after the right accounts because we don't want to waste our time on accounts that don't want to have a conversation with us that's first and foremost the second thing is um if you are an ae so this speaks primarily to you um unfortunately you have to have some kind of automation in there um, it's, it's just not, there's no way to really scale the prospecting effort unless you bake in some automation. I wouldn't recommend you kind of go crazy and just completely automate everything. But the reality is because you're balancing so much, you have to have uh, different ways to automate. What I would encourage AEs to do is there's kind of like a, uh, a split in terms of how people think you should prospect. Some people say, you know, hyper personalize up front and then automate the rest. Some people say, automate up front and then kind of pick off the people that are opening clicking. I think for AEs that are building their own pipeline, the latter probably makes the most sense where you kind of just push people into a sequence or a cadence, kind of see who's opening and clicking and treat those people differently just because like you don't really have that much bandwidth. Um, and tactically, like I said, using like a sales loft uh, or an outreach and, and just basically making sure that you have long cadences, anywhere from about 17 steps over about a 30, 30 day period, multi-channel. Um, we, we start with connection requests first because we want to kind of build familiarity. And in terms of our social selling tactics, it's not those like, hey, my name is Ernest, I'm going to connect with you because I want to talk about my product. Like that's not how you prospect on social. The way you prospect on social is by first connecting with someone, interacting with them in terms of like building rapport and then you have the opportunity to ask them for a meeting we've noticed that if you go straight in and just ask then it's not they're 
not, it's not quite as effective at times. So uh, first starting off, as I mentioned, with our sequences with um, a connection request to kind of build rapport to engage with them. Uh, then we go through a series of calls and emails, some automated, um, and we also use like voicemail drops here and there through SalesOft. Um, but just staying consistent with that is really important. Uh, in terms of direct mail, especially right now, we actually use Alice. And kind of going back to what we do with our product, um, because we know the accounts that are most likely to take a meeting with us, we only use Alice gifts on those accounts. And as a result, we have a much higher conversion rate into opportunities. So um, what we basically do is we make sure that um, once we push people through a cadence throughout a period of time, and we're able to see various levels of engagement, uh, various levels of intent with our product, then we pick certain people off and then send them Alice gifts. Because you don't want to send it like straight out the gate as a cold outreach. You kind of want to use it as a way to uh, like get someone in who's really close because you don't have as many that, uh, that you typically have per month. Um, so we also do that. I'm trying to think what else I can give you. Um, and on, on LinkedIn, so let me ask you a question on, on the LinkedIn. So on the request, uh, I agree. You're, you're not asking for the meeting up front, um, but do you send a, a any sort of message on that first one? Like maybe yeah. just a one sentence thing? Yes. And best practice is trying to keep it, at least from what we do, try and keep it between like 50 and 70 words, not too long. Um, but we basically try and say like, hey, my name is Ernest. You know, I've been doing research in your company. Just want to share some information with you. Something mm -hmm. Super short and simple, relevant to them. Some people might think that's like, oh, that's curious. Like, what do you know about my company? Like, what are you seeing? And they might get a response that way. Some mm -hmm. people just take it for what it is. And then you kind of nurture them through like liking their comments, you know, like, like viewing their profile, like starting to build a little familiarity with yourself. In the background, you're sending emails and calling them. And then when the time is appropriate, then you hit them with a message. But um, do send some kind of personalized message that's geared to that person. Um, something generic around like, I, sorry, your, your mutual connections don't want to connect isn't quite as engaging. And we've noticed that our connection request rates aren't as high if we do that. So something personalized, usually something that's more applicable to them is always the best. Um, but at the end of the day, especially if you're an AE, we, we personalize to the limits of our bandwidth. You can't send like really hyper-personalized connection requests to everyone. So if you do at least have some kind of template that um, at least shows a person you've done research on their company, that's pretty helpful. Yep, yeah. And do you do um, the voice messages, the audios on LinkedIn? Yeah, so I will say we don't have a metric built out for it, but we have had some people that had success with it. So, um, and that kind of goes into the people, like we kind of bucket things in terms of like engagement that certain people have once they enter into a sequence or a cadence. And if we see a lot of engage, engagement, that's where you're going to have to do like guerrilla warfare, if you want to call it, like all out tactics to try and find a way to convert them. And uh, that's one of the tools that we have within our arsenal where uh, we can send someone something based upon uh, whether or not they're engaging with us. Man, I got to tell you, I went to a Morgan Ingram workshop with our team uh, like a year ago, towards the end of last year. And that was the first time I ever heard about a LinkedIn audio. So that, like, the next two days I did, we had some call blitzes and I was doing that. I booked like eight meetings in like the first day. <laughs> it was like, man, it was like shooting fish in a barrel. It was crazy. It absolutely blew my mind. It's pretty effective. It's definitely pretty effective. But I will say also that it's used under the right circumstances. So like if you yeah. connect with someone and like, they're already engaged with you or they're you're like always on their profile, stuff like that, then you'll have the most success with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's easier when, well, you have to be connected to send it. And then, um, you know, if you're already connected, if maybe it's someone that ghosted you in the past or you talked to a few years ago, going straight cold, it, you know, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but it, it is maybe leveraged in, in the right situation is the best way to do it. Exactly. So, um, okay. And then as, as an AE, um, so you mentioned the cadence, you have like 17 steps. Do you, um, 
What's your take on people or the philosophy of sending out ones that are, I don't know, like cute, I guess is the right way to put it. You know, where there's some where it's like, Hey, are you stuck under an alligator? Or, yeah. you know, it's like, do you, do you, you know, like I guess sometimes there's points for creativity. Sometimes it's maybe yeah. cheesy. Like, do you, do you use that at all? Does that work? So we try really hard not to do things that we, we know a lot of people are doing because people just naturally get numb to it. So we don't use a like ABCD or if you're an alligator, whatever, we don't do that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I will say trying to find ways to, to personalize people and, and try and make it unique. Um, Beck Holland has uh, a personalization at scale um, page that she created the course, which we've kind of used as our, our go-to guide for how to like really personalize to people. I think she deemed it as like psychographic information. Um, mm -hmm. So we're trying to learn as much as you can about someone before we send them something. But the most important thing that we kind of harp on without fail is providing value. Like people only respond if you're going to give them something that's going to make them do their job better. And if, if a, if a Giphy with a, an alligator and a monkey dancing is going to do that, then go ahead and do it. <laughs> but as long as your message has something that's like, tangibly going to make them do their job better that's what gets responses and you might get the creativity like this is awesome this is super funny and that stuff's great but we've also noticed that sometimes when you do that the opportunities will progress because sometimes people are just taking the meeting because they appreciate the outreach so uh, we do want to make sure that if we are um putting something creative or unique or we use like video often um, that there is some kind of business value tied to it because that's what we want to do to ultimately drive pipeline yeah. And like, you know, examples of that might be, you know, blog posts or industry reports or things like that. And they, for at least from my perspective, they don't have to be about your company or from your company. They can be third party. Sometimes it's better that they are third party. So it's like, Hey, this, to your point, this will help you do your job better as, you know, say a marketer or whoever this, the person is. Um, and you want to be associated with someone that's helping to educate them, helping to challenge them, helping to provide value and, and advise them on, you know, how to adjust to the new age of, you know, marketing or security or whatever it is that you're selling. Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's the key. So what about, this is kind of random, but what, how is leadership different as in business versus in sports, right? Because I heard, um, you know, RIP to, to Kobe, but I was, I was so inspired by him and his transition from, you know, one of the best basketball players of all time uh, to then getting into the creative field and, and um, in everything that he was doing, I, I knew he was going to do great things for decades and decades. And I had, I heard someone ask him on a podcast, like, cause you're, you, things on a sports field are so intense. People are cussing at each other and, you know, you're, you're banging helmets or whatever it might be. And like, that's obviously not what happens, you know, in a sales pit. So like, especially not remote. So how do you, if you're used to being so intense, how do you maybe like channel that in a different way? Or maybe you are intense and, and that's something that works in your favor. I'm just curious how that translates. Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't think I've been asked that before. Um, one thing I'll say is empathy throughout is the most important thing. Mm. But the biggest difference between sports and the business world is what you do to motivate people. Like in football, if I made a mistake, my coach would have me running and dancing and doing all kinds of stuff around the field <laughs> to motivate me to never do that again. I'm not going to have some of my team do push-ups and do sprints because they miss a call or they don't, they don't 
get something correct. Um, so I think a lot of it is just like really being aware of your environment and knowing like what's actually appropriate and not based upon uh, what's to be expected by people, but, but also having empathy. And one thing that I do think that athletics at times overlooks is sometimes people are motivated by different, different avenues. Like I'll, I'll be the first to say it. I was the kind of person that like to get me motivated, I had to have, have a coach screaming at me. If a coach was screaming at me, it would fire me up and it'd get me going. There's some mm-hmm. people who were a lot more, uh, they're, they're better motivated through like, talking through tactics or like really explaining certain things but uh, regardless of how you're leading you got to know your person and kind of what's the best way to get them going and the the thing that kind of makes it different with like the business world versus athletics is you can't pull certain levers in that in the business world as you would in athletics just because um the culture doesn't embody that yeah so do you um you know throughout your career have you told your boss that like, Hey, you know, I get motivated by getting like pushed and, you know, maybe they're not like screaming in your face, but like, maybe they do need to give you a little nudge or like, kind of like poke, poke you with the stick a little bit to kind of get you fired up. If you're not maybe at the top of your game or, or to get you to that next level, has that, is that something that you kind of manage up and tell people, or is it just like, yeah, at this point I'm motivating myself. You know what, honestly, I don't think that it's applied as much in the business world as I did in football, because in football, like if a coach got me fired up, I can get really angry and use that aggression. Mm-hmm. <laughs> go hit somebody. <laughs> yeah. so, obviously I can't really do that. If I'm like visibly upset and angry on a call, if a customer is going to feel it, that's not going to go the right way. Um, but the way that I've kind of told my coaches, so that helps motivate, that helped motivate me while I've been in the business world is like, again, I want to be the best. And um, if you can show me examples of times where I'm not being the best and give me avenues to pursue to make myself even better, then that's going to get me going. That gets me fired up. Um, so that's kind of been the feedback I've given to people of just kind of helping me outline weaknesses because I want to get rid of them as soon as possible. Um, yeah. And I don't, I don't think that would have necessarily worked with me in football because like I could have learned them and I'd try and apply them. But for me, like getting that motivation of like having someone yell at me and, and scream at me and do all that kind of stuff was a lot more impactful than talking through my weaknesses. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. That makes sense. Getting motivated in, in different avenues. Um, and I wanted to make, you know, one quick call out here as we're wrapping up to, I heard you on the sales hacker podcast a little bit ago talking about, um, you know, some of the, the, what you're doing for, you know, uh, the black movement in tech and in sales. And I, I think that you either run it or you help to run it, or you're just a, an avid supporter of, of a Slack channel for people of color. So I wanted to just talk a little bit about that and maybe help kind of spread the word around what you're doing. And, and maybe there's other initiatives that have popped up too uh, within the community. Yeah, sure. So I'm also happy that you're calling that out. Um, I think a lot of this stems from the fact that um, within tech, primarily in sales, I mean, there's just underrepresentation across the board from either gender or ethnic um, diversity perspective. Um, for me, coming into tech, being one of the only few black people at my company, um, I, and not even just in sales, at my company in general, I think one of the hard things about people that are starting the career is they're looking for, like, whenever you start something new, you're looking for people that are like you to find confidence. And if you don't have that, it makes it a lot more difficult to to force that path. You kind of have to create it on your own. So right. I worked with a couple of years in the space, Morgan Ingram, Nikki, Nikki Ivey, you know, Kevin Dorsey, a couple other people. And we basically created a Slack group uh, that are roughly about 200 of us right now. And we continue to grow. And please, if anyone's listening to this and they want to join, please reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, Ernest Owusu, and I'll be more than happy to add you to it. But it's basically a, a forum that we use as a sounding board to talk through all things that were going on within our organizations, within the industry, around uh, what black sales men and women are going through and kind of how they're looking to combat that. And um, honestly, it's been awesome because it's been a huge place. It's something that I didn't really realize how much I'd appreciate until we had it. 
um, because it's it's just it's having that avenue to kind of talk and share and vent and have someone truly empathize with you because they're going through it um, mm -hmm. is really is really supporting and feels really um, really encouraging to go through whenever something's going on because the reality is with 2020 and a lot of things in the past this has been a tough year for black people just calling it like it is you yeah, know and absolutely. and having and having that community has been critical uh, not just for me but also for other people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that started well before 2020. Right. So it's, exactly. it's, uh, if you didn't have that community for everything that was happening this year, it probably would have made it even a lot, a lot harder. So kudos to everyone that has started that and contributed to that. Exactly. And, and we were, we were talking about that in there as well. It's like, so we, we first built it, I'd say around this time last year, and we kind of started building and adding people and we had conversations, but, um, the culmination, the culminating point obviously came with what happened this past spring uh, during Memorial Day weekend. And to have that as a place where we all could just kind of talk about how we're feeling and like, whether we're getting support in organizations, whether we weren't getting support in organizations and kind of how we're helping people navigate through things was amazing. It was truly amazing. Yeah. And that's for, it's specifically for sales folks. Are there people outside of sales in there? Is it, there a lot of sales talk to? It's primarily salespeople, correct? Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Well, I, you know, I definitely encourage anyone that's checking this out, this podcast out to hit up Ernest. Um, where else can we find you? What's the best way for folks to connect with you? Uh, is it LinkedIn um, or, or anywhere else? Yeah, sure. So uh, LinkedIn is probably the easiest. I'm pretty active on there every day. Uh, so LinkedIn, I think it's backslash Ernest Owusu. I forget what it is now, but just my name, Ernest Owusu. I'm on, on Twitter. You can also find me there. And funny, my Twitter handle is the Ernest Owusu because surprisingly, there are a lot of Ernest Owusu. <laughs> Search it, you'll see. <laughs> so, so I named my, my Twitter handle the Ernest Owusu. So if you'd like to connect with me and talk to me about anything, please feel free to do so. That is true. I, I didn't even bring that up, but when I, I was doing some research and I was checking, you know, I was checking all the social feeds, I was checking Instagram and there was like 97 Ernest Awusus. I didn't see you in there, but maybe, maybe you're stuck somewhere. You got a different handle or something, but there's a lot of you out there. <laughs> exactly. There are. It's, it's kind of funny, but it is what it is. That's awesome, man. Well, any, any last, Oh, I got one more question for you. What is, I know your you know, personal development, you're reading, you're listening to podcasts. What's, what's top of mind for you right now? Like what's on the nightstand or what's in the headphones? What's something that like has really been inspiring you or, or helping you out recently? Yeah. So I'm definitely a big fan of sales hacker as well as 10 pounds uh, sales development podcast. Um, mm -hmm. One thing that I'm personally focused on as, as six cents continues to grow is uh, there's a book I believe is by the, the leaders of HubSpot called the sales acceleration formula. Uh, some really mm -hmm. good tactics in there for people who are trying to find ways to uh, scale their organization through enablement, through recruiting, et cetera. So uh, that's my current book that I'm reading right now. And I'll let you know when I get through it. But uh, again, always trying to find something new to learn. And if anyone who's listening to this has a recommendation for another book that I haven't read, which I've read a lot, please pass them over because I want to take a look at it. That's awesome. And I think that's Mark Roberge, right? Uh, that's, uh, that's on my list. I haven't read it, but it's pretty good so far. Nice. Awesome. And well, I appreciate the time. Everyone go hit up Ernest uh, on LinkedIn, uh, get to know him a little bit. And uh, thanks for joining the show, man. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.